0: Today's speaker, Dean Yoder, shares this year's Christmas message. Jesus is still the bread of life. This is Awaken Online, a virtual library of the Sunday morning messages at Awaken Church in McMinnville, Oregon. I want to pray this morning that God would restore your soul, not that it's broken, but that it's weary. Um, I feel like he's just trying to, like, giving us a, a space this morning of rest, uh, 're a We're in a weekend we're in a holiday and and I know a lot of things happen and there are a lot of moving pieces even on a holiday but Lord wants to come to you today and restore your soul to a place of of rest and to a place of um, wholeness and out of weariness and He wants to lift that off of you and um, he wants to lighten your step and he wants to open your eyes and lift up lift up your head just a little bit out of um, a spot of weariness, of soul. Uh, He wants to remind you that he's with you. He's for you, not against you. Um, And I think he just really wants to know that your complete um, person matters to him, your body, soul, and spirit. It really matters to him. And so, uh, Lord, we just open ourselves up to you to minister to us this morning and just receive um, receive that that uh, that impartation of your goodness, Lord, and your healing and your love, and we ask for situations in your life um, to not disturb the peace. In Jesus' name, Amen. The story of the world's pretty unpredictable. I would say it's not like a Hallmark movie. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm just I'm just revealing my. Here, here's something you may not know about me, but I do like Hallmark movies, the Christmas ones at least. And I like them to be set in a winter setting. You see, I have my demands too. They need to be in a, a winter setting, and there has to be a little bit of a romance thing. And like, they're so predictable. You know, they're going to break up for a little bit. They're going to save the hometown. They're going to stay in the small town. And you know, this is going to be snowing on Christmas, and they're going to get back together and live happily ever after. I'm sorry. I'm kind of just like that. I like it, I, and I I look for them. You know, like as we're looking for a Christmas movie, I'm like, okay, I want that style. You know, I don't like the unhappy endings, and but the world's just not pre- very predictable in it. And there's other there's another thing that's not really pre- predictable, and I don't know if you remember that last year. Our reader board out front, who uh, Kirk and Stacey Olson, they take care of it, they came up with a really good saying on there. It said, "A baby changes everything." And I found out this year that a baby changes everything. I'm going to change everything right now in this room by showing you how <laughs> change everything right here, huh? Isn't she precious? Isn't she just a doll? This is my okay, if you don't know, this is my own first grandchild. So um, my son, he, he and his wife have a little baby. She's uh, seven months, I think, right now. There's one more picture we could look at too. I was just going to do all pictures of her this morning. There's her six month birthday, happy half dozen, it says. But I, ninety nine percent of you just your hearts just changed a little bit right? A baby changes everything. Now, of course, they put that up there not to, like, promote any of our babies that we have necessarily. um, But the truth is, 2,000 years ago, a baby changed everything. A baby changed everything. Um, You know, like I said, it brings a myriad of emotions to you. um, it changes a lot of things for the better for us because I'm not the parents. Like, even when she poops, it's cute, right? <laughs> like, for mom and dad, not so much. But, like, for grandpa, oh, isn't that cute? Oh, yeah, here you go. Aren't you going to change her? Mm-mm, sorry. Grandma's a lot nicer in that than I am. She takes care of stuff like that. Um, Most of the world missed the greatest birth ever because they weren't looking in the right place. Some of them maybe not have been looking at all. Last week when Mike was speaking, I was taking notes, kind of making notes, and then all of a sudden I shifted to, well, what am I going to say this week? And as uh, so I was looking at what he was saying and, and taking little notes, I felt like the Lord said, Say this to him. So if this is, if, if, if you want the ending and you just don't want to have to, if you want to, just walk away with one thing. And it was look to Bethlehem look to Bethlehem is what he said. So, you know, what I got to do this week, I got to try to unpack that for myself. And I had to ask myself, why, what, why, what? And like, and I think I knew the why and the what, and I change it. And so like, if you don't remember anything, remember this, look to Bethlehem. All right. If you'd like to, we're going to read out of Luke 2. I'm going to read the story. I'm going to read the longest story in the Bible. Do you know why it's the longest story in the Bible? Because we couldn't open presents until we got finished reading this story when I was a kid. (laughs) It was like the longest 15 verses of my life. Like, I love the story. I knew it was a reason. It was a box we had to check, but there's a whole Christmas tree sitting there with gifts, and it was absolutely the longest story that I ever had to listen to. I'm reading from the NIV. Um, and, and just a little bit of a forefront on this. Jesus taught his disciples to pray, and I, and I know this is about the birth of Jesus, but Jesus taught his disciples to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that that on earth as it is in heaven, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as, as it is in heaven. It gets teased and twisted and questioned and thrown around all over the place. But if if you haven't ever if if you ever question whether heaven and earth can align, I would challenge you to not be able to read the story without changing your mind. Heaven and earth aligned in this moment. Despite all the other chaos that was going on in the world, heaven and earth aligned and God was glorified and his son was born just like he said. This, the, remember, look to Bethlehem, but heaven came to earth that day, that evening, in many ways. Heaven and earth were aligned. So I'm going to start out in 1 and go through 15 is what I see here. It's <clears throat> in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quir- Quirinius, I don't want, that's the one I didn't really want to say, was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has taught us about. Now, Bethlehem was in Israel. But the real hub of what goes on in Israel is Jerusalem, and still is today. So it could seem really logical for the Messiah to be born there. And if you lived there in that time, you were desperately noticed that Jerusalem needed a savior. Israel needed a savior. Israel needed the Messiah. See, in 63 BC, so, you know, 60 some years before Jesus was born, Rome conquered Israel coming out of a civil war. So, Israel's pretty much now. Captives in their own country. They live under Roman rule. And it's reinforced by a king that Rome has appointed named Herod. Herod the Great, that is. So if you're a Jew and you live in Jerusalem, you're looking at things like you know, what's Herod doing? What's Rome doing? What's Augustus, Caesar Augustus saying? And their question rises up many people groups who is our Messiah? Who is going to be the Messiah? They want to be saved and they were looking at Jerusalem and all its chaos and hoping that the Messiah would become. Becoming to Jerusalem that is. But if they were expecting to see him in Jerusalem they were looking in the wrong place. Now I learned some really interesting things that I didn't know about Rome and how they did things. I kind of knew that they, like, would empower, you know, some of the local governments to have some authority and to try to keep peace that way. But what I, I didn't really know was some things that were really interesting about Caesar Augustus. Like, you know, they, we read through that, First verse that he institutes this um, census that's supposed to be taken. I just kind of skip right past that. What I didn't know is that Caesar Augustus' father was Julius Caesar. And I don't even really know if I knew that many times when like a Caesar would die, they would deify him after he died. They'd say, he's now a god. But at some point, Um, Augustus, so, so when Julius Caesar dies, they do deify him. They say he's a god. And Caesar Augustus, I found out, was Caesar Octavian before. His name was Octavian. And he was convinced to change his name to Augustus, which means worthy of worship. And then they took Augustus and they said, let's deify him while he's alive. And so now they're looking at Augustus as a god, alive, worthy of worship. And the article that I read said he is now able to say he is the son of God. So the man in charge of Rome at the time has been deified, changed his name. He says, I'm the son of God and I'm worthy of worship. In fact, I just want to read. This is not coming out of the Bible. This is a Roman inscription from 9 BC. I want you to listen to this. This was discovered and 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 um, it was printed in an article that I read. And I'm going to read this this paragraph to you. This is it didn't have great specifics of where it came from, but it was from around I thought yeah 9 BC. Said this the the most. This is their opinion of Caesar. The most divine Caesar we should consider equal to the beginning of all things. For when everything was falling into disorder and tending toward dissolution, he restored it once more and gave to the whole world a new aura. Caesar, the common good fortune of all, the beginning of life and vitality all the cities unanimously adopt the birthday of the divine Caesar as the new beginning of the year. Whereas Providence, which has regulated our whole existence, has brought our life to the climax of perfection in giving to us the Emperor Augustus, whom it, Providence, filled with strength for the welfare of men and who being sent to us, And our descendants as Savior has put an end to war and has set all things in order. Whereas, having become God, manifest, I don't know that word, venice Caesar has fulfilled all the hopes of earlier times. In surpassing all the benefactors who preceded him, and whereas finally the birthday of the God, Augustus, has been for the whole world the beginning of good news. Concerning him, therefore let a new era begin from his birth. Like like I said, this is not the Bible. It sounds very similar to the Messiah that God had promised. Like this is what you're up against if you are under Roman rule. This is what how they're looking at themselves. This is how they're viewing that. Like, Herod gets put in place. He's not even a real Jew. He enforced Roman taxes. He got kickbacks himself. He enforced local taxes. He instituted Roman sacrifices within the temple, the Jewish temple. So if you're a real devout Jew, you're sick, you're angry, you have three options. fight flight, or freeze. You can be a zealot, and you can try to fight the Romans. You can try to raise up a leader within you to overtake the Roman army. You could leave, run away. You could be frozen by acceptance. Oh, I'm just going to accept this. Or you can just be frozen because you don't know what to do. It seems impossible. there's a fourth option that most missed. You can look to Bethlehem. If you knew the word of God, you would have known that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. 700 years earlier, Micah, the prophet, writes in chapter 5, verse 2, but you, Bethlehem, Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old and ancient times. That was written 700 years before Jesus was born. It's the same scripture that Matthew quotes in chapter 2, verse 6, when he's telling the story about the wise men. Remember, Jesus has been born for probably a few years, a couple years. And the wise men were guided by a star to Israel. They, they, they left from the east, which um, as much as we can tell, it was quite a ways east. It was out of the country. It was from a long ways away. They made a long journey to see the star that, to guide them towards Israel to find the Christ child. You see... Even the wise men came to Jerusalem to find the Messiah, to find the king. They said, where's the king? Where's the king, the one who's been born, king of the Jews? Where is he? They came to Herod. They came to the most logical place you'd come to. If you were coming to the center of Israel and you wanted to know something about the government and kings and you wanted to get information, they went to Jerusalem first. Like if I wanted to go look for the governor, I'd go to Salem here, right? And so they went to the most logical place, but when they got there, they found out, which Herod didn't even know, he had to ask his Pharisees and scribes, where, was it, where, where is the, the Messiah supposed to be born? And they said, he, he's supposed to be born in Bethlehem. And so they went to Bethlehem and worshiped. So what's so special about Bethlehem? Well, other than God said that's where he was going to be born, there are some special things about it. You know, it could be just only special because of that reason. Bethlehem can be just that special because God said that's where it's going to happen. But it was the city where King David was born. And And it's also fulfilling a prophecy prophecy that said that Jesus will be the shoot out of the stump of Jesse, which was David's father, that Isaiah prophesied hundreds of years earlier. And Jesus is the descendant of David, spoken in 2 Samuel, who would rule forever. And David was known as a man after God's own heart. Now, when I think about being a man after God's own heart, I think of seeking and searching and looking and discovering and trying to shape myself to match the experience that I've had with God myself, the good God. And so David was a man after God's heart. Even with all the horrible things that David did, his sins, his, his adultery, his, his disobedience sometimes, God still said, that is a man after my heart because God judges the heart. Not just everything we do on the external. Sometimes what we do on the external does reveal what our heart is, but God is the final judge on where your heart is at. And I think it is so awesome that God had uh, Jesus born in Bethlehem from the line of David, the man that was after God's heart, because now we get to actually see God's heart, which was Jesus. When you see Jesus, you've seen the Father. Jesus said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And this thing that that David's been looking for for so long in his life, the the goodness of God, the forgiveness, the discipline, the blessing. I know David's dead. But now we get to see it in person. We get to see it manifest in person. Just like God said he would come. Just like he said where he would be at. And now we see the heart of God in the form of Jesus. When we are paying attention, and I know it sounds like the shepherds didn't have a choice, but that event that happened with the angels coming to pronounce the birth of Jesus to the shepherds wasn't just an assignment. That's my, that's his, this, is, this is my feeling. I believe God probably said, go to the shepherds. Go tell them what's going on. But he didn't say, okay, I want you to go to the shepherds and act like this is a really big deal. I want you to sing songs and I want you to have lots of light I want you to make it, you know, kind of scary at first. I want you to, them to be overwhelmed. So this way they'll want to do it. it. It wasn't just this little planned thing, scheme that God did to try to get the shepherd's attention. This is what was going on in heaven. He said, this is what's going on in heaven, I think. Go show them what's going on in heaven about the birth of this child in Bethlehem. Go show them, go tell them. This was heaven and earth aligning. And all the shepherds had to do was obey. All they had to do was say, let's go see the Christ child. They said, let's go look to Bethlehem. Jesus declared in John 6.35, he says, I am The bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I'm a little thirsty right now. (laughs) Bread and water sound good. But to never be hungry again, to never be thirsty again. Jesus is the bread of life. Do you know what Bethlehem means? House of bread. The bread of life was born in the city that was the house of bread. Jerusalem, it had a false peace. It had a corrupted, oppressive darkness. It was overshadowed by people who were preventing true peace, true, peace, true righteousness, true joy. Like, because everyone wasn't killing each other, they said there was peace. That's kind of what we say peace is, right? We say that peace is where there's no war. But I say that true peace is peace that you can get while you're in the war. It's something totally different. It's something that allows you to go to the cross. It's something that allows you to walk into the fire with true peace. I know the story is 2,000 years old, but Jesus is still the bread of life. The odds of heaven and earth aligning are not slim. They're not slim. It may not be quite as much as an angelic choir showing up in your front yard or your backyard. It might not be as dramatic as a star from millions of miles away or however (laughs) that it was, that rests over a city to give direction. It might not be that dramatic. You just got to know where to look. And it starts at the house of bread. It starts with the bread of life. It starts the one who will never make you thirst again. That's why I pray for your soul this morning, that you'd be peace in whatever you're going through. I know each one of you could probably say something that you're going through. So the worship team is going to come up and we're going to rejoice, right? We're going to rejoice in our celebration of this time. But here's your application, right? People want an application. What am I going to do? What do I do with this? Well, here's what you, this, that is kind of the question. What is the Holy Spirit saying inside of you today in this moment? What did you walk away from here with today? What, is, what did he deposit all of a sudden? What did, what did, was it something I said? Was it something he dropped into you? Was it something inside of you he confirmed? What is that thing? And make a note of it. Pull out your phone, write it down on a piece of paper. Like, oh, I don't think the Holy Spirit speaks to me. Yes, he does. God is always trying to speak to us. I I struggle sometimes with certain areas of where, what are you saying here? But like, listen to your heart this morning. Listen to what is stirring inside of it. Listen to what challenged you this morning. Maybe, Maybe that's what it is. Maybe, well, that really challenges me. Write it down. Write it down. And then ask the Lord who you're supposed to share that with. I'm not meaning that we get together afterwards and share a bunch of stuff. That's not what I'm trying to imply. It could be that. Is there somebody in my life this week that I need to share this with? Thank you for joining us today. For more information about Awaken Church, please visit our website, awakenmac.com. That's A-W-A-K-E-N-M-A-C dot C-O-M.